Today's Parenting Great Kids podcast is brought to you by KiwiCo. KiwiCo projects are designed to spark creativity, tinkering, and learning in kids of all ages. They make learning about STEAM fun. They're on a mission to empower kids not just to make a project, but to make a difference. Friends, I use KiwiCo with my grandchildren of all different ages, and they love them. KiwiCo is offering Parenting Great Kids podcast listeners the chance to try them for free. To redeem this offer and learn more about their projects for kids of all ages, visit KiwiCo.com slash Meg. And also by BetterHelp. TeenCounseling.com connects your 13 to 19 year old with a licensed professional counselor right where they spend most of their time on their smartphone. Simply complete a short questionnaire and you'll be matched with a skilled therapist in teencounseling.com's network of specialists. Then, once you review their credentials and approve, the counselor and your teen will begin communicating directly. Visit teencounseling.com slash Meg and help your teen take charge of their mental health. Parenting Great Kids with Dr. Meg Meeker listeners can get 10% off their first month at teencounseling.com slash Meg. That's 10% off your first month at teencounseling.com slash Meg. For 30 plus years, I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 88, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Our guest today is author, radio host, and speaker, Ken Coleman. Ken is the best-selling author of The Proximity Principle and national radio host of The Ken Coleman Show. Ken equips, encourages, and entertains listeners through thought-provoking interviews, helping them grow their businesses, pursue their passions, and move toward a fulfilled purpose. In 2013, he released his first book, One Question, Life-Changing Answers from Today's Leading Voices. He joined Ramsey Solutions in 2014 and frequently guest hosts The Dave Ramsey Show, the third largest nationally syndicated talk radio show in America. I'm so excited to have him on the show today. As always, I will share my points to ponder for you to start using right away. And remember, don't just download episodes, click subscribe, because when you do that, you are joining my parenting revolution and every new episode will automatically show up in your subscribe list. You won't regret it. And I'd love for you to write us a review on iTunes and let us know what you think. Also, not only are we on iTunes, but the PGK podcast is available in the Google Play Store and on Stitcher. So no matter where you get your podcasts, subscribe today so you won't miss a single episode. So parents, 
Thanks for listening. This is episode number 88. Stay with us. I want you now to listen in on a conversation I had with Ken Coleman. I know you're going to enjoy it. Well, Ken Coleman, thanks so much for joining me on my podcast today. It's a long time coming, but I'm very excited. It and is. And I'm grateful. Yeah. You know, this is going to be a lot of fun. I love what you do when we've known each other quite a while now, and I've seen a lot of changes in your career, which is really sort of what you talk about, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. I mean, you've, you were uh, on the very first edition of the Ken Coleman Show. Yes, Before I, I came to Ramsey Solutions. I think you're about 12. Yeah. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes, I was 12. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, and so you've seen a lot of this and you've been a friend through it and you saw the move from, you know, on my own to Ramsey Solutions. You saw me pay my dues here and Mm -hmm. and take it a different role. And then you saw the the change to personality and then the national show, this book. I mean, you've really kind of watched the whole thing and and you've been a professional friend and a personal friend through it. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of fun because you certainly know the journey. And what I write about in this book is very real because I've experienced it. You have. And I remember back in the day before you came to Ramsey Solutions, I remember sort of giving you a little bit of motherly advice, but... um, Clearly, it was very good. Yes. And I listened. <laughs> and you did listen. Which is the first rule. Yes. Listen, listen to the women in your life. <laughs> so, guys, right. that will take you a long way. A long way. Yes. It'll make your life a lot easier. Today's a big day for you. Yeah. So, tell our audience why it's a big day. Well, it's a big day because uh, a dream is coming true. Um, mm. We've been on Sirius XM, which is certainly a dream come true, uh, a national show on Sirius XM for almost two years. But uh, today we syndicated nationally on AMFM, traditional radio, which for an old school guy like me, even though you say I'm young, uh, you know, to have a a syndicated radio show is certainly a a professional milestone and something that I vividly dreamed about. And for Dave to do that, of course, a part of the Ramsey Solutions Network, uh, it's a big day. It's an exciting day. Yeah. Uh, Because as I was telling you before you walked in, what's cool is, uh, the very first station to sign up for national syndication because you do a contract, you know, with every station and say, okay, we'll carry your show from this time to this time. The first station was WDUN, which is where I started on Saturdays at two o'clock, and I was paying two hundred fifty bucks every Saturday, wow, a thousand bucks a month to test this idea, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. test the dream, not this particular idea of this book, but right. this idea of, hey, do I have what it takes to be a broadcaster? Mm-hmm. And you have to start out like that. Yeah. And you know how many people are listening to Saturday, Saturday radio? It's yeah. like seven. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was I was the eighth. No, I listened yeah, not to including you. your guest or the guy that's turning the <laughs> yeah, knobs. You yeah, know? Yeah. So talk to me about how you landed on helping people figure out what was the sweet spot in their life. What's the job yeah. that you were born to do? Well, a lot of this comes from certainly a background growing up as a preacher's kid and sitting in church my entire life. Hearing my dad tell adults and young people, don't miss the will of God for your life. Mm-hmm. You know, like this warning. Right. Because you will miss it. That's right. If you're not really, really careful. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're not intentional. Right. So it starts there. So that's the that's the source of all this. You know, why does this matter so much to me? And so I took that very seriously. Uh, my dad and I've laughed about it, you know, in, in you know subsequent years about how he scared the crud out of me, you know. So I was searching for it uh, based on fear. But the reality is, as you get older and you begin to understand, there's a bigger calling on your life. And my dad was very, very intentional to pour that into my brother and I, that that you were created to fill a unique role. And you need to figure out what it is. 
Um, and, and so there was a, there was an urgency for me to know what it was and then to figure out how to best do it. Mm -hmm. And so I was very intentional at 16, was sitting in a chapel, uh, in my high school and a state senator came in and spoke about history and the role that each of us could play in it. And it was kind of like this overlaying message of everything my dad had been drilling into my brother and I since the time I could understand a sentence. And it was in that moment that I felt a real public call in my life, mm. as clear as I could feel it. And so at that time, I thought it was politics and went on that path. Mm -hmm. And it was it was as clear and as intentional as I could be. Politics. Yeah, I felt that I was called to public service. Okay. 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 So I thought, well, the way I'm going to do that is is serve in politics and run for office, you know, and Reagan was a hero of mine and Thomas Jefferson and Patrick Henry are like big, I'm, I'm just a nut about these guys, you mm -hmm. know. And so I had all this context and that's where I was headed. And the long story extremely short now is I'm 31 years of age. And I had been in the private sector building a business resume so that I could run for office. Mm -hmm. So the plan is still on. And things happen in the political world, and I lose the fire in the belly. I'm not as passionate about it. I'm disappointed. I'm disenfranchised, disenchanted with the whole situation, and begin a process of rediscovery. So I wasn't lost or meandering about. It was just I knew that something had changed. And so I did the hard work, and thankfully I knew a guy named Pete who consulted some of the top CEOs in the country and was kind of the coach for them. And he gave me his process for clarifying uh, who you are. And so I was able to retreat back to that, and I already knew, but I realized, wait a second, it's broadcasting. Mm -hmm. But the problem is I'm 31 with three kids under the age of three. Mm -hmm. I got a mortgage. I got my own business that I kind of started. And broadcasting is not super lucrative. Extremely. <laughs> For ex those who haven't been in it, yeah. It's not lucrative, and it's extremely difficult to win, you know? Mm -hmm. You can do local radio, local TV in a small market, not making very much money at all. So you've got this, it's a tough, tough grind, and, and I'm sitting there going, man, this is crazy. I don't have a degree in broadcast journalism. I don't have a degree in broadcasting at all. How am I going to do this? And you're, you're, you're kind of facing that with this absolute clarity and this crazy passion that this is it. And I believe that I had the chops, you know? So, so back up a little bit. You went from believing your public service mm -hmm. you should have been a politician and now you're going to be a broadcaster what moved you very yeah. specifically from one to another did yeah. somebody invite you on a radio show and you go wow i'm really good at this or how did that happen yeah. because i think there are a lot of people listening that go you know this is what i'm doing i don't really like it i'd like to move in a different direction yeah. but i'm not exactly sure what so yeah what glad was you asked so we look at the sweet spot this is what i teach on the ken coleman show this is the core of everything we teach. How do you discover what you're supposed to do with your life? This is what you're asking me. So you look at what you do best. This is your talent. So everyone is born with God-given talent. Other, in other words, you, you do these things pretty well. They, they come easy to you. Out of talent, we can develop skill. Then we have strengths. So like I would say empathy is a strength versus communication is a talent. So you can take the talent of communication and hone it to be a great writer or a great speaker. Mm -hmm. You can take the strength of empathy and hone that into you know, some type of listening and counseling, discernment skill, that kind of thing. So you look at what you do best, talent, and what you love to do most, that's passion. So where does our talent and passion intersect? In other words, how can we use what we do best to perform 
what we love to do most. It's a very simple formula. So we don't chase passion only, and we don't chase talent only. So what I did was I retreated back to that formula that a mentor had given to me in my early 20s. And what I realized was is that the, the talents and everything still lined up. So my top talents are communication, discernment, pretty analytical, you know, uh, good at connecting with others. And, and so those talents, heart, those top talents were still in place, nothing new. But if we look at passion, I was passionate about the public sector and public service. But then what I saw as, I think, a failure in leadership, mm-hmm. and I was on the inside. And I had worked in it, and I saw what I saw was a corrupt system, and I, I, I lost faith in the system or in the space, the mm-hmm. sector, but I still had a passion to help people. Mm-hmm. Now, wait a second. If I thought – so I go back and I go, okay, I take these top talents, and I, I thought my purpose was to use those talents to communicate publicly and serve publicly in the political public government sector. Well, all I did was do some research, and I came to it was like, I'm going to do all those same things, except I'm going to do it in broadcasting. Yeah. So I just did the work. Now, this was a six-week deal, Mm -hmm. okay? This wasn't six minutes. I wrestled with this and came back to it. All I did was verify the talent and look at the passion and go, why did I lose the passion here? What are the similarities? And what it came back to is I wanted to serve people and help people. Mm -hmm. Well, how do I most want to help people? Those are the three questions I ask on a radio show. Three questions you need to ask to figure out passion. What's the problem you most want to solve? Or who is it that you most want to help? Or what solution do you most want to provide? Same basic question. I ask it three ways. It's a little psychological trick. All that said, that's what I did. And that's when I realized I love public speaking, being in public and having to present something. But I want to do something that's going to help people in their lives. And so I felt like broadcasting was the space, not politics. Mm -hmm. Awesome. How do you help you? I mean, you answered my question. How do you find what you're passionate about? Because a lot of parents, and we're talking to parents here. I mean, this is great because it helps the parents figure out what they want to do. Parents are all about find your passion, pursue your passion, do what you love to do. That's not super hard because a lot of kids are very energetic. But how do you help your child find their talent? Yeah. Well, let's look at both of those real quick. So let's look at talent. Well, parents, here's the deal. Let's start with what are the subjects in school that they're just really proficient at, meaning they don't struggle. They're bringing home the A. It's pretty easy. You look at their, uh, we used to call them achievement tests. Now I don't know what they call them. But you know which subjects your kids are really strong in. Now, some of you've got these kids that are all A's. Okay, so now we're going to look at, all right, we know that they're good in all their subjects. So now we're going to look into more detailed things. For instance, do they really excel in athletics? Do they really excel in music? Dude, I mean, this is not difficult. What does your kid do well? What does Johnny do really, really well? Not do good. What does he do really, really well? Now we're looking at the top-notch performance areas. That's what you're looking at. Now let's go to passion because this is where parents screw up. And I'm really passionate about sharing this. <laughs> Don't tell your kids, chase your passion, do whatever you're passionate about. Because you're going to send them into a life of frustration. Right. Let me explain. There's this cool message that everybody has somehow adopted. And if I could find the person that came up with it, I'd wring their neck in a public square. And it goes something like this. You can do whatever you put your mind to. That's a load of crap. Let me explain (laughs) by picking on myself. I love the game of basketball. It's my favorite sport. Always has been. But I'm a five foot eight dude who can't jump over paper. Mm-hmm. Now let's just say this. I was like, what if my dad said, Ken, go out there and I want you to practice dunking the basketball and jump as high as you can for as long as you can until you can jump high enough to dunk? 
Well, the problem is he would send me into desperation. Uh, he would ruin me. Why? Because I don't have the physical gift. Mm-hmm. I don't have the ability physically to jump high enough to dunk a basketball. So let's take this little thing you've been telling your kids. Hey, baby, you can do whatever you want, and you're lying to them. Yeah. And you're sending them down a path of frustration. So let's look at the sweet spot. Go, wait a second. What does Johnny or Susie do best? All right, we know that. That's what they're telling. But over time, and you know this, Meg, the passion question will get clear as they get into adolescence and get older, and you're going to see it become a little bit more developed from, I would tell you, 17 to 21. Right. Don't freak out. Don't try to nail this passion thing down, but let's get a general area. So a lot of you are going, okay, well, I want to know at least. Well, you can. So what makes their heart come alive when they talk about it? Outside of video games and the mind-numbing stuff, what do they they matriculate to? What do they get around and they go, I I love watching shows like this. If your 17, 18-year-old boy loves watching renovation shows, you should pay attention to that. Yeah, right. Don't push him into an accounting degree. If he loves watching Chip and Joanna Gaines and you find him always around with a piece of wood and when he was 11, he started building stuff out of a crate, we need to start paying attention to this mom and dad and go, no, wait a second. I'm not going to push this kid into college if this kid's really good. What he really wants to do. And he might be a millionaire by the time he's 28 Mm -hmm. if he gets into construction and he doesn't spend four years wasting himself getting a degree that you want to tell your friends about. Mm -hmm. You want to brag on Johnny. Well, Johnny went to the state and Johnny went to this school and Johnny's dying because Johnny wants a hammer in his hand and he wants to build something. So this idea of recognizing this in your kid, what makes your kid come alive? When they do it, time seems to disappear. You see, you can't pull them away from it. They get excited when you tell them they're going to get to do it. When they do it, they don't want to stop. This is not difficult stuff, parents. It's called paying attention. Hmm. And by the way, stop pushing them into college or a career that they don't know. Why don't you push them when they're 15, 16, 17, even 14? Push them into a lot of different things to try, and the things that they love, it's going to hit them like a tuning fork. Yeah. So I was going to muddy it all up for you, and you just started it. You just started to hit on it. What I see is a lot of parents um, putting their kids in a whole lot of stuff, and it's good because they want to find out what their kids are passionate about. But here's the problem. I find that a lot of times it gets complicated for parents. They push, push, push them in a direction where the kid isn't very good, but they don't accept that he's not very good at something, but they want them to be really good at it. And then what I find is sometimes kids rebel or they um, are done, you know, sophomore year in high school, I'm not going to do that anymore. So... How do you help parents sort of dial down a little bit so they're giving their kids good exposure to opportunities to find out what they're good at, but they're not pushing? So it's a real fine balance parents have to find. Well, I would start with this sentence and then we can delineate from here. Get over the specialization lie. So in the NFL draft, you can go look it up online, parents. Test me on this. Go Google how many guys that were drafted in this last NFL draft were only football in high school. And you're going to find that it's like 60-70% of them didn't specialize. They played multiple sports. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about the best league in the world, the most talented football players, and these kids weren't only football. Yet what's going on in the real world is, is your kid said they like soccer three times, and now you've turned them into professional soccer players with everything they're doing. I think what you're saying, Meg, is absolutely right. I'm not for overkill. I'm for lots of testing. 
So let's sign them up for this one fall. The next fall, let them try something else. And then when they express an interest in it, don't try to turn them into world class at it. Just let them decide their intensity level. If my kid came to me and said, I want to play travel soccer. All I ever want to do is play soccer. When I don't have anything to do, I want to play soccer. I'm going to go. Now that, I'm in. Yeah. Because the kid is dictating it. Yeah. They're leading. They're leading. They're saying, I want that. Yeah. I crave more of this activity. Now we've we've hit that tuning fork. Now we've got real passion. But with you pushing, Doesn't there's work. a difference between parents pushing and a kid's passion. Wait, no, I often tell parents, you know, you want your child to be Olympian something. Um, and you feel responsible. If you don't tease it out of them, you don't give them opportunity, you don't push or pay for this, they're not going to get there. But that's not true. I, I would say, you know, if a kid's going to be an Olympian, they're going to be an Olympian because they're not going to not be able to be. Exactly they're just going right. to keep on going. Well, that's exactly right. Let's talk about, um, you have a book called The Proximity Principle. And as we were talking before you came on, you were talking about three things that need to be in place in order to really become who you are meant to become. Can you talk about those? Yeah, we need to know our talent, our passion, and our value. So we've talked about those three things. And so so talent is what we do best. Passion is what we love to do most. And values is what matters most. We've got to get a real handle on those three things because that's what gives us our North Star. Then when we figure that out, then we use proximity, right? And we go, okay, so how how do we get there? And I don't, right. know, if, I don't, I don't know if people understand, but everybody needs to understand that when you get on purpose and you say, okay, this is what I want to do. That there's three enemies to this. And I don't know if this is what you're talking about, but the three enemies. So uh, I love track and field. Mm-hmm. I love, I never ran track, but I love watching the Olympics, primarily for the 100 meters, men's and women's, and the 200 meters. And there's always this really awesome moment, and the, the TV cameras do a great job of building this drama. You know, and they're they're out there stretching, yeah. and they introduce them. And there's like this five to seven minute buildup, and it's all in the starting area. And then the moment comes, you know, and I get all tense at home. I'm excited. And they get them in the starting block. And the the athletes get down, and they get in the starting block, and they're getting all fidgety. And all of a sudden, then they get ready to go. And we all know that there's a person there with a revolver that's shooting a blank when they say, and then boom, the race is off. Here's what's funny. Most people, sadly, stay in the starting blocks of life. And the guy's just going, like every Monday, I'm shooting this. Why aren't you moving? Okay. Let me tell you why. Fear, doubt, and pride. Fear, doubt, and pride keeps most people in the starting Huge. blocks. Uh, let's go over some of because I deal with these every day uh, on the radio show. Fear of financial failure. Okay, if I go after this I, and I fail, we're going to set our family back. We're going to lose the house. It's just this big, giant lie. Mm-hmm. You're not going to starve. And you're not going to be homeless. Because first of all, we're not going to jump off of a cliff. Right. Okay. So fear of failure. Then there's fear of peers. I call this the fear of peers. It's also family. I get this all the time, Meg. I'm talking like 36, 38 year old dudes calling going, Hey, listen, I know I want to move, but it's going to have to be here to do this. But I'm worried about what my family's going to say. Oh, I, I hear the same thing with their kids. You know, I don't want my kid to have a cell phone at 12, but all of their friends do. So I have to you do it. it. No, so it's fear. It's fear of peers. It's fear. fear of what are my peers and family going to say? Uh, and then let's move to doubt. Doubt's the ugly cousin of fear. And doubt says you have the doubt of uh, it's too late. My ship has sailed. Mm-hmm. I'm in my 30s or 40s or even 50s. It's too late. The other one is, this is the biggie. We know this from psychology. Uh, doubt that I have what it takes. Mm-hmm. I know what I want to do. I think I have the talent, but can I put it all together and actually 
make it happen. I dealt with this because I was 33 going into broadcasting. I knew I had the talent. I really did. I mean, all things equal, put me on a mic. I felt like I can do this. But can I put it all together at this stage in my my life and make it happen? And so that's doubt that I don't have what it takes. And then pride. Pride manifests itself in two ways. A lot of dudes deal with this uh, more than women. But the pride is I don't want to ask for help. Mm. I don't want to ask for help. I, I, you know what? I don't, I don't want That's to That's always that. intrigued me. It's always fascinating because here's the thing. No man or woman in the history of the world who's been successful has ever done it on their own. Exactly. Yet we go, I don't want to ask for help. Right. I, I don't want to be that guy. Right. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't want to yeah. ask for help. And then this is, I see this with guys more than women. Okay. I'm going to step on some toes here, but this is the, uh, well, you know what? I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't, I don't need to impress anybody. I don't need to. I don't. What, I don't need to go do that. So I got the extra car, the golf club membership, or play at the tennis club. I don't. I don't need to do that. I'm fine. Yeah. And all that's a bunch of crap because it's two lies. Mm-hmm. So pride rears its head and makes us feel like we're being smart, right? So, so when we hear that, it's like, well, you're just trying to talk yourself into the fact that you're your own man, and that you're so authentic that you don't need to do anything. Well, that's a bunch of garbage. You're scared to death. You're a little boy with your knees quaking together, right? You know, and then don't ask for help. Same thing. You are rationalizing your lack of activity. To say, right. well, I don't want to be that guy. Right. I don't want to be the brown nose that we all hated in school. You know, the Eddie Haskell from yeah. Leave It to Beaver. Yeah. Well, then again, that's another crock. You know, it's like, well, you're just talking yourself into it. So fear, doubt, and pride. And the reason we spend time on that at the opening of the book is we want people, adults, kids alike, to identify very early on the enemies you're going to face. Right. Because when you get on purpose, all three of these monsters are going to rear their ugly head, sometimes all in one day. Mm-hmm. And they're there. And by the way, they never go away. Right. But we can we can step over these things. Or walk through them. Walk right through them, right. whatever analogy you want to use, when we use proximity. Because see, proximity is the, that's what we just said, oh, that's a fear, that's garbage. I'm going to go get around the right people and watch opportunity happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, despite all of that. Junk. Well, and the thing is, you're absolutely right. Because, you know, I'm sure when you were starting out and paying to be on the air, and when I was starting out and, you know, even before I got into medical school, I thought, I can't do this. And I got into medical school, and I thought, I can't do this. And then I started my first procedures on kids, and I said, I can't do this. And now, writing my seventh book, I go, I can't do this. It's like <laughs> right. nothing to say. It never so goes it away. never goes away. And as I was speaking at that financial conference today, that came up all the time. Yeah. But what if I you know, mislead somebody? What if I mislead somebody? So... How do you get through the fear? How do you, how do you, how do you take that jump? Okay. I figured out where I need to go. Um, I don't like working at the post office. I'm bored. Um, I want to go and be a tradesperson, but I'm 40 years old or I'm 45 and I'm scared to jump. Love that question. So we name the fear. So we gave a list of fears, but in your situation, you're listening to this, you've got to name the fear. So let's take Meg's example and let's just call it. So the fear there is, well, I'm at the Postal Service. I got good government benefits. Everybody knows me. It's pretty much the safest job of all time. If I try to move into being a contractor and doing home renos and I don't, nobody wants me to do their bathroom or kitchen, I'm going to starve. So we call that fear out. So you're saying that you're going to fail financially. That's what you're afraid of devastation financially great that's a fear that's a lie let's call it what it is so how do we deal how do we use proximity to tell the fear to shut up here's how 
So that caller calls in. I'm say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask around your own personal network. That's close personal network plus acquaintances. Do you know, or does somebody that you know know a contractor who does renovations? Or how about this? You know a drywall sub who works for a contractor. Do you know a plumber, an electrician, you know, a tile person? These are all tradesmen. Right. All these people are interconnected. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, yeah. So circles, circles overlapping circles. Yeah, so what you yeah. do is you go, hey, do you guys know a contractor that would be willing to have coffee with me? Or I'll just go to lunch with you. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're going to sit down. We're going to. I want to eventually move from the post office into doing home renovations. Uh, talk to me about the market right now. Is it hot? Is it slow? These guys all know the answers. Or to follow this. them around. Follow. See but, if you like it. Right. Yeah. Well, we're getting there. Oh, but so. we're just going to ask questions about the the marketplace. What's the market right now? Um, how much are people uh, are they are they paying this much? You know, who all's doing this? Who's doing it well? Who's not doing it well? You think there's a place? We just sit down and ultimately want to give the contractor that's proximity and have lunch or coffee and say, hey, how'd you get where you got? What are the licensing that you need? How much do you think you know? And they know all the stuff. What all would I need to do to get licensing? Well, you got to do this, this, and this. How much does that cost? How long does it take? Mm-hmm. The very things that you were afraid of. Now are no longer big monsters under the bed. It's like the parent who goes into the kids' room, flips the light on, goes in the closet so the kids can see you go in the closet. There's no three-eyed monster in here. So we're going to look at what does it take to become a contractor. So what do I need to know to be qualified? Second question, uh, how, how much is that going to cost me financially? We look at that and we go, okay, based on my reality, my budget, where I'm at, it's going to take me this long to save up for that or to cash flow it. And then the third thing is how long is all of that going to take? So now the postal worker goes, hmm, so in 24 months, I can have my licensing, be ready to go, and start doing stuff on the side. Now, do I have to quit the post office, Ken? No, you mm-hmm. don't. What you're going to start doing is do a bathroom project on nights and weekends. Mm-hmm. Do another bathroom test project. It out. We're going to test it, but we're going to slowly start it on the side, and we're going to take the money we did from the side project. We're just going to stack it, mm-hmm. and then if we can stack up six to twelve months, is what I tell my callers. Six to twelve months of your living expenses. That means your post office salary. I don't care how long it takes you. Right. If it takes you three years, who cares? Don't talk to me. It took me seven and a half years. I don't want to hear your griping. <laughs> But I did what it took, and I waited as long as it took. That's the key. So we stack the money up, and then one day we tell the Uncle Sam, I'm out. Because you got six months of money in the bank, and you got clients stacked up, and now you're ready to go. So when we sit down and talk to people who are doing it and realize, well, all the things that it takes, it's not so scary anymore. What are you afraid of? But you leave the post office, and you start down a different path, and it doesn't work for one year and another year and another year, kind of like you paying to be on the air. When do you, because it's hard, I mean, particularly if you're starting your own business, so you're starting from ground up and there's a lot of doubt that comes in, gee whiz, maybe I missed it. You know, I've been building a business three, four, five years and I'm not sure it's going to work. When do you know when to pursue and when to say, okay, I got to go back to the post office? Yeah, I think if it's taking you three or four years and there's no traction at all, something's wrong with your business model, your people skills or your construction skills. Yeah. Something's wrong. Right. So again, before we get there, though, we, we want to make sure, do we have the talent to pull this off? So back to our original sweet spot. So this is assuming that you know as a postal worker that starting a construction company or getting into carpentry work or whatever is in your sweet spot. Mm-hmm. So we have to assume we've done that work. Because if you do that and you know you have what it takes to pull it off, then it's a function of staying in the game. Right. But everybody's journey is a little different. So for me... Uh, I, I wasn't able to make a full-time living in broadcasting. 
until I came to Ramsey. So seven years. So I was doing, I had my own side business and I was doing the show from five to seven at night. So I moved from Saturdays where I wasn't paying to the station was paying me a little bit of money to do Monday through Friday. But I still had to supplement the show by sponsorships and I also kept doing my, my business. Parents, I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Ken Coleman. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of my conversation with Ken Coleman. With more than 70 sizes, including their signature half-cup sizes, Third Love designs bras with breast size and shape in mind for a perfect fit and premium feel. I will tell you, friends, I wear Third Love bras, and they are the most comfortable bras I've ever worn. They don't slip. They don't poke. The truth is, often, I don't even know I have them on. This is, hands down, the most comfortable bra you'll own. The straps won't slip, and tagless labels won't bother you. Not to mention, lightweight, super-thin memory foam cups that mold to your shape and are proprietary to third love. Best of all, every customer has 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test. And if you don't love it, you can return it and third love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. Third love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they're offering my listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash Meg now to find your perfect fitting bra. And again, that's 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash Meg for 15% off today. Parents, are you dreaming of a beach vacation? Well, start planning your escape to Panama City Beach, Florida. Imagine spending your days doing the things you love, all in a setting of sugar white beaches and turquoise waters. Discover endless family fun, heart-pounding thrills, eco-adventure, and romance. Make it memorable. Get up close to dolphins in their natural habitat on a boat tour. Give paddleboarding a try or just lounge under an umbrella. There's so much fun, it'll make your family's head spin. Make it exhilarating. Find your thrills flying on a jet ski, kayaking at sunset, or snorkeling in turquoise waters. It's everything an adrenaline junkie lives for. Make it incredible. Bike along the beach, take an airboat tour, or explore the secluded beauty of two state parks. Panama City Beach offers one eco-adventure after another. Make it special with a romantic getaway. Relax and reconnect with dining on the beach, breathtaking sunsets, and enough live music to dance the night away. So make it yours. Make it Panama City Beach your real fun beach. Plan your escape now at visitpanamacitybeach.com. Was there a time, though, during those seven years when you doubted, thought, gee whiz? Um, every Tuesday? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Every other day at times? Yeah. Certainly because uh, what what was happening, I'm glad you asked this. 
what was happening was I was good on the air. I knew I was doing a good job there. So I was self-aware enough to know, and I had other people look at me and say, you're really good. So I knew that the talent thing was getting better, and I was getting better. But but that doesn't, you know, it, I didn't have a show that was paying me full time. There was no yeah. Dave Ramsey yet that right. called me and said, join the team here. Mm-hmm. There was no national syndication. There was no broadcasting company, Premier Radio, going, hey, I want you to join the ranks of Sean Hannity. We're going to pay you, you know, 180 grand or 250 grand. And that wasn't there. Right. So I knew that I was in my sweet spot from a talent and passion. I enjoyed it. I was very, very good at it. So that was great. But it had yet to turn into the opportunity that I could do it full time. So it was one of those situations that that's where doubt crept in. Yeah. So it wasn't doubt about talent. It wasn't doubt about passion. It was, did I wait too late? Uh, is this what God has there's for that, me? D- there's that doubt coming in. But, I, it was a spiritual doubt. Yeah. What do you mean a spiritual doubt? Did I, did I do the right thing? Mm-hmm. Like I am in my sweet spot, but is there, but I teach there's multiple things in the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Right. For, for instance, if I wasn't doing this, another sweet spot role that I would sign up for right now would be coaching basketball. Mm-hmm. I'd be coaching high school basketball, teaching a couple classes, wearing sweatpants every day, and just be passionate about teaching young men the game of basketball, yeah. but ultimately teaching life. So you can have talent and passion in many different areas. No question. And and if you do have your talent and your passion, and what I'm hearing you saying is, and, and you start down a path, um, keep going, keep going, yeah, keep going. Quit. Because you do have the talent, you do have the passion. And sometimes, like Dave, mm-hmm. it takes years That's exactly and, right. until you kind of, it, the light goes on and go, here it is. You talk about the proximity principle is being what you mean by that and i want you to clarify is that in order to get to to succeed at where you've just moved because it's your talent your passion mm-hmm. you need to be around the right people yeah is that what you're saying with yeah, the so proximity got, principle yeah, so in order to do what you want to do you go ahead and fill in the blank and this is for your kids as well so your kid comes to you and says mom and dad i want to do this so in order for them to do that successfully, they've got to be around the right people in the right places. So what it does is it demystifies the journey to success. It's not 18 things you need to know, Johnny. It's two things you need to know. Who are the people that are doing what you want to do successfully? Mm-hmm. What are the places where that is happening? And it's just radar. It's just put up the old antenna and we go, okay, we want to be around those people because the formula for success is this. The right people plus the right places, equals opportunity. This is what everybody longs for. This is the hottest political issue of our time. I'm not going to get political, but let's just let's just break this down. People come to this country illegally and legally for one reason. Why? Opportunity. Mm-hmm. Opportunity. It's the American dream. Opportunity. It's one word. So everybody longs, just give me that chance. I just want a chance. And the proximity principle is all about opportunity. You, parents, your kids, if you are intentional. And again, we've been talking about this in the framework of broadcasting, the industry that I went into. But I don't care what the industry is. Mm -hmm. You can go to medical school and come out and flounder. But I'm going to tell you something right now. If you're in medical school right now, every off minute that you have when you're not studying and you're in the hospital or doing rounds or whatever, you ought to be having lunch with successful doctors. Right. Why? So, because you're going to learn so much from them, and you ready for this? They're going to connect you to other doctors and other people that can open doors for you and get you in places that you may have never dreamed you'd get the job. So, I one get, conversation on a golf course could land you at Johns Hopkins. It really can happen. It does. It does. But I can hear some people saying, "Well, that's schmoozing, and that's no. being an opportunist." What's no. the difference between aligning yourself or yeah. getting into the pack of people who are going in the same direction you want? ago and being inauthentic yeah so we write about this in the back of the book in practice it's called being audacious versus obnoxious (laughs) 
and there's a difference. And yeah, I'm glad are. you bring this up. Ob- obnoxious is you come in and they smell you down the hall. You're there and you're just over the top with enthusiasm and it's all about you, you, you. You can help me. I need you to help me. I'm going to take over the world. Help me. Mm-hmm. As opposed to what I teach is let's be audacious. And audacity is just the opportunity to be rejected. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, right, I'm, I'm, right. I'm going to be audacious enough to say, hey, will you have lunch with me? And they might say no. And that stinks. Like, okay. But yep. when I get in there with them, I'm going to be audacious as well. I'm going to do it in a really nice way. Here's the package. Three things, parents. Everything's in threes. Have you noticed that? Yeah. I'm a pastor's kid. Can't help myself. Uh, number one, you got to be humble. Okay? Just humility. You're not acting like you're there for yourself. You're there in the form of a student. Mm-hmm. Number two, gratitude. Say it. Thank you. Say it 57 times. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you when they answer the email. Thank you when you get in the door. Thank you when you sit down with them at lunch. Thank you. Thank you for this. Gratitude. That is very attractive. Then the third thing is hunger. Show some hunger. Mm -hmm. Hey, listen, you've been humble. Hey, I just want to be where you are. Mm -hmm. If I'm so fortunate and I do the right things, I want to be where you are one day. That's humility. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Gratitude. Third, hunger. I've got some questions that I wrote down. Specific questions that I think you can answer and you can really help me. And so if you don't mind, I'm just going to let you eat and uh, and I'm just going to, I'm just here to learn. And you got a pencil or a pen and you're ready to go and you're writing down. You are a, you transform from this humble student to a sponge. Mm -hmm. You do that. This isn't schmoozing. Because I say in the book, don't ever go to another networking event the rest of your life, and it freaks people out. (gasps) What? How do you say, how could you be a career expert and say don't go to a networking event? Because it's not about networking, it's about connecting. We're talking one-to-one connections. And that's where people, and and here's the the follow-up question. I know you're going to ask it. So I'm going to go ahead and answer it. So what happens is people say, well, I'm going to go meet with somebody like this. Why would they meet with me? I have nothing to offer them. Not true. When you do what I just described, you have given that powerful, successful person the most valuable gift another human can give. You have given them value. Right. They feel valuable. They don't care how young you are on a cop. They go, now this is somebody who's serious. Mm-hmm. This is somebody who respects me, values my time and my insight. Well, and I think that's the difference between being audacious and authentic and or or being an opportunist because an opportunist will come at you with the sense that I'm going to take something I'm going to take some the only yes. reason I'm here is because you need to give me something you're like a vampire you're like a vampire and people smell it and you're absolutely right so we're talking to parents here and they're they're saying to themselves okay I know my kid's really good at soccer but I and I really he really wants to be um, a professional soccer player but I don't have access to elite soccer players, because you say the proximity, if they can't access that, what do you do? Well, I would say, parents, you can access them. So I learned my greatest interview lessons. Probably the greatest influence on my broadcasting career are three guys that I've never met. David Frost, Larry King, and Bob Costas. Because I watched how they did interviews. Mm-hmm. And I have uh, received some very nice accolades on my interview style. Well, I didn't just develop it on my own. I watched every Larry King. I'm telling you the truth now. I've watched every Larry King live show there was on CNN. I would TiVo it back in the day. And then when it went off the air, my wife bought me as a gift one time for Father's Day, bought me the gift of the box set of the DVDs. It sits on my shelf at home. (laughs) 
uh, whether you like Larry or not, Larry was known as one of the great interviewers, and I would watch his show for him as much as I would the guest. I've watched Bob Costas. I've watched the David Frost, Richard Nixon interview at least 20 times. And when I was watching it, parents, I was taking notes. I would watch how Bob Costas' body language. I would pay attention to the type of questions. How would he follow up? I, you know, and I would read. I read Larry King's biography, how he got started in an overnight diner in Miami. Hmm. So don't tell me that your kid can't get the influence of some of the world's great soccer players. Garbage. Number one, they got books. They probably have a podcast or they've been guests on a podcast. They got YouTube videos. Your kid can, through soccer camps, and let me tell you something right now, we're in Franklin, Tennessee. Our soccer program here is one of the top soccer programs in all the country. You would never think Franklin, Tennessee. This is a great soccer club. Your kid is anywhere from an hour to 90 minutes from a really quality soccer club. And here's the other thing. They can learn all the fundamentals. They can learn from the greats. You can instill greatness in them from letting them watch the best soccer players. If you got a little girl that's in soccer, I'd go find every positive YouTube video there is of some of the great women soccer players that are all talking about how they got in the game and begin to feed her mind and heart with what does it take physically mm-hmm. and emotionally to work hard to be great. Who cares how she traps the ball or passes it? There's only two ways to do that, just so you know. I'm looking for ways to instill in my kid, what does it take to be a champion? You want to be a champion? Yeah, Dad, I want to be a champion. Okay, then let me give you a personal growth plan, and you're going to listen and digest what it takes to be a champion. Yeah. So I would say to that parent, garbage. Don't tell me that in 2019, you can't get in proximity of the things that will help your kid. We talk about this in the book, The First Place is Where You Are. We, yes. we, the, the law of the zip code says everything you need to get started is already around It's all you. there. Yep. So I'm so tired of hearing all the Well, excuses. and then you have to work in the God factor because, you know, a lot of times when I've been trying to figure out what to do, I'll pray about it and I'll say, okay, here's the deal. It's go- it goes back to your dad saying, don't miss God's will, don't miss your God's will, kind of like you're going to unless. I say, well, this is a path I'm going to start down. But it- and if I'm going in the wrong direction, something's going to turn me, something's going to turn me. But I also believe there's providence in there too, and that and that you will get that good direction. Because you also talk about the opportunity and being around the right people and the right place, almost like there's luck, but it isn't luck. No, no, it's no, no. Not, it's fact, really not. Well, I'm luck. glad you bring up providence. Let's talk about faith. I mean, basically, this is theology 101. This book, the Proximity Principle, is about theology. So here's what we know: we know that that when we move, providence then moves. Why? Because there's no reason for faith if we don't step out. Right. If everything is just dictated to us, and it's like that Fidelity investment commercial where the green arrow just runs all the way through, <laughs> and it's like if that so, was yeah. the Christian journey and the walk, there would be no reason for faith. Easy. Mm-hmm. Wait a second. The Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's from Hebrews. And so when we step out, so God gives us the clues, talent, passion. Mm-hmm. He's already given us the clues. You have the answers, folks. Your kids have the answers. Wake up. Stop waiting for somebody to show you what you're supposed to do and then tell you how to get there. That's not how it works. Get out of so the to your point, get, yeah. get in proximity. When I get around the right people and in the right places to what I know God has called me to do because it's written on my heart, well, then he moves. Mm-hmm. And when he moves, he gets the credit for it. So, I mean, I'm preaching right now, but I'm going to tell you something. 
This book uh, came out of nowhere. It came out fast, quick. Dave said, let's do it. It was not a massive release out of the Ramsey uh, Network. It was kind of a smaller release. We just wanted to get it out. And that thing went to number one on the list, the Wall Street Journal list. And it went number one only for one reason, because God wanted it to be there. I had nothing to do with it. Neither did anybody at Ramsey Solutions. And if they tell you different, they're wrong. The book has done well. None of us, including me, including Dave, thought it would do this well. Hmm. That's a fact. Now, I'm telling you why that happened. The reason that happened is because there's a path that I have walked, and there is a discipline that I have stepped out constantly. And when we launched this book, I stood up in front of our entire team, and I said, my prayer that you that I asked that you would pray with me is that I would get out of the way and that God would do something with this book. Now, I'm going to tell you something. God honored that. But I don't get any credit for it because nobody can look at that and go, well, we expect you to be a number one because of the marketing we did and all this. No, nobody no. expected to be number one. So God gets the glory off that number one. Not me, not anybody else. Nobody believes I had anything to do with it. I think that's what he wants us to do. Mm-hmm. If we get in proximity, we just say, you know what? I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know where it's going to happen. But I know I got to get up today. Right. And I got to faithfully step out. And I'm going to get around people that can teach me. And so when God gives me the opportunity, I'm prepared for it. John Wooden famously said, it's my favorite all-time quote, when opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. Oh, it's a, now, parents, it's a good quote. Yeah. If you want to teach your kids something, teach them that. When opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. Proximity positions me where I need to be and propels me to where I want to be. Why? Because it puts me at the train station of opportunity. When you are in proximity to the right people in the right places, in your sweet spot, Meg, here's what happens. The right time finds you. Right. You don't ever have to worry about the right time. Somebody goes, oh, Ken, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not catching a break. First thing I want to know is, are you in the right place? Well, yeah, I'm in the right place. Great. Hang on. Mm-hmm. Well, sit tight. Sit t- you know, and it's interesting because God doesn't have the same timetable. You talked earlier about some, oh, some yeah, people no. saying, well, I'm too old. I'm too old. Ooh you better be careful who you're talking to it's god because god will say you know if he wants to do something to you at 40 or 50 or 60 it's a very different timetable so what i hear you saying is help your kids be ready for opportunity yeah well put them in a place where opportunity finds them yes you don't want your kid meandering around at 27 great teach them the proximity principle first help them find their sweet spot help them yeah it's not difficult number one number two help them don't freak them out don't over push them. Help them. Yeah. Help them identify the right people. Teach them the power of the right people in their life. I mean, we do this as parents anyway. Like, none of us say, hey, listen, when you go to the high school football game Friday night, make sure you get underneath the bleachers and find all the guys with the cigarettes and the girls with the, the miniskirts. Hang out with them. <laughs> Nobody says that. <laughs> oh, of course not. Yeah. Yeah, but wait a second. But yeah. we also don't do the converse. Like, we don't, you know what I mean? Right. Like, we want our kids to hang out with them, but we don't say, hey, um, what we say is don't hang out with the bad crowd. Right. But he, but go find the good crowd. But I would rather you as a parent teach your kids early instead of being that don't hang out with those kids. And then they automatically want to hang out with those kids. How about going, hey, um, I can't tell you how powerful the law of the five average, the law of the five is that you're you, you're the average of the five people you hang out with the most. Mm-hmm. Let them do the math on that. Yeah. They know which one of their friends is a two. You don't have to say, that guy's a two. two. Right. Let them figure it out. Begin to positively say, hey, listen, if there's anything I can teach you, it's your, there's a Harvard study. Who cares if they get sick of this crud? Just keep saying it. 
It's a 79-year-old Harvard study that says that our success and failure depends almost 95% on the people we hang out with. I would believe that. Well, it's the truth. Yeah, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't matter what, yeah, yeah. I don't care if they agree with it. I'm going to drill that into them. So I'm going to give them this positive thing. And so that when they start getting around the wrong people, they start going, oh, right. you know what I mean? And so let's teach them the other thing. So I, I would tell you that parents, here's the deal. Help your kid find their sweet spot and then teach them the power of this little principle. Get this book. Let them read it. You read it to them. It's super easy. Get the audio book. Uh, I'm telling you, when they get this, they're going to go. Oh, I can you know, figure this out. Well, it's it's such a, a, a powerful principle, and really, it's pretty simple. Extremely but simple. But aren't the aren't the simple things the hardest to do? Well, it's simple to understand, and it is relatively easy to find the right people and and the right places. But the 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 hard part is, will you stay there long enough? Mm-hmm. Like this is the question I ask people all the time in the call of the show. I'll tell them exactly what to do, and you'll hear their light come on, and I'll say, "Now here's the question." Are you willing to do what it takes? These are adults. Oh, yeah. They'll say, yeah, Ken. And then I'll say, are you willing to wait as long as it takes? Now, that's a different deal. It's tough. Yeah. I know it's tough. I'm the most impatient person on the planet. God knew what he was doing. He yeah. was pounding into me something that he knew I needed to be able to, to understand. And here's, here's the whole spiritual thing where it comes. He knew how impatient I am. And so he was pruning me. And I also believe that had he given it to me seven years earlier, or had I figured all this out in my mid-30s, I wouldn't be able to handle what I've got on my shoulders now. Absolutely. So timing is very important. I am not going to mess with God's timing. We have to close, but I have one more question I just have to ask you, because I get it all the time. Um, Ken, I have a 20-year-old son, and he's not motivated, and he's not passionate about anything, and I'm not sure what he's good at. How can I motivate him? Yeah, you can't motivate him, but what you can do is free his heart. Uh, What I would tell you is, to the best of your ability, whether you need a professional outside counselor to give you perspective that maybe you've lost, or if you're honest enough with yourself, look at the role you've played in covering up his or her heart, uh, the role of a coach, maybe some very mean peers. Something has happened in that 20-year-old's heart where they can't feel their heart anymore, and it's called buildup. Mm-hmm. And I experience this with adults who think they have burnout, and there's no such thing as burnout. The day you die is the day you're burned out. Your flame <laughs> is extinguished. Yeah. But buildup, on the other hand, can happen very easily. Uh Physical abuse, sexual abuse. I'm talking about adults here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, rejection from a parent early on. Uh, rejection of a dream. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, so you need to find out. This 20 year old uh, very much has a passion, and his or her heart is completely covered up. Big old heavy sandbags. We got to remove those. We got to get the kid healthy. And I think it's a two pronged approach. Number one, I let's work on the health by identifying what's caused all this. Let's get to, let's let's get the healing where we need healing. Mm-hmm. And now let's just let that flame go. Mm-hmm. The best way to build a fire, Bobby's across the glass there. We love to build fires. The best way to build a fire is you don't stack the wood tight. You stack it kind of like, you know, just two at a time this way, two at a time that way. And we have to leave a channel for the flame. And you build a fire that way, the flame comes up and it takes off because it has a room to grow. And so what I would tell you is, as you look at the sweet spot, your kid does have a sweet spot. You help him or her identify that. And then you say, I'm sorry, I didn't help you earlier. This is what you were created to do. And I'm on board to help you. I'm so excited about who you were meant to be. How can I help you be that? This kid will transform overnight. Overnight. Well, I'm so glad you said that because I believe 
to, you know, somebody once asked me, why do I call my podcast Parenting Great Kids? Because not all kids are great. And I said, I have yet to meet one who isn't great because passion and talent and greatness are inside and sometimes they're buried so deep. But what I want parents to really hear is it's there. What you're talking about, passion and talent is inside and a parent's job is to just help them let that out ken your book is fabulous the proximity principle yes where can people connect with you and where can they find the book the proximity principle so kencoleman.com and wherever books are sold wherever you like to buy your books that's where the book is and if you'd like to connect with us about social media follow us there as well as get radio times whether that be sirius xm or am fm radio or the podcast of the radio show kencoleman.com is the place to go ken today's the day i'm so um, privileged to be here that it's your syndication day. Isn't that crazy. Yeah, and I'm just really proud of you Thank because you. I've seen you walk all of this out and you've just walked into it and you're a living example of what well, you write thank about. Thank you very book. much. You've modeled the way for us. You've helped Stacy and I so much. I know the <laughs> Coleman kids appreciate you as well. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for having oh, me. Oh, thank you, Ken. Now on to my points to ponder. First, encourage your kids to be friends with others who share their goals. You know, just like adults need to surround themselves with professionals and friends who are doing the work they'd like to do or live the type of life they'd like to live, kids need to be around friends who will help them move in the direction they want to go. The principle that works for us helping get ahead in our careers also works for our kids in reaching their personal goals. Second, help your child figure out what interests he has, but don't push. Many parents subconsciously push kids into activities that they want them to do, not things kids want to do. And remember, your goal is to help your child find what his passion is and what he's good at. He may be passionate about playing the violin, but he's terrible at it. Let him play, but don't encourage him to try to play with the Philadelphia Philharmonic Symphony. Helping our kids find what they like and then couple that with what they're good at takes a long time. Many kids in college still don't know what they want to do, so keep encouraging them. Third, help your kids work alongside an adult who works in a field they're interested in. When I was 16, my father introduced me to an orthopedic surgeon who was a friend of his. I pleaded with the man to let me follow him around for a bit. He did, and eventually he let me go into the operating room with him to watch surgery. I didn't spend a long time following him, but enough to make me realize I had found my passion, being a physician. If your child, usually in his teen years, has an interest in any type of profession, carpentry, law, medicine, landscaping, etc., help him find an adult in those areas who is willing to let him shadow them. This can make an enormous difference in where he proceeds in the future. I want to thank my guest, Ken Coleman. To find out more about Ken, you can go to KenColeman.com. Once again, that's KenColeman.com. You can also follow Ken on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube when you search for Ken Coleman. Now let's recap my points to ponder. One, 
encourage your kids to be friends with others who share their goals and ideals. Two, help your child figure out what interests he has, but don't push him. Three, help your kids work alongside an adult who works in a field they may be interested in. So until next time, parents, always remember that great kids are raised, not born. Hey, this is Bobby, producer of Meg Meeker's Parenting Great Kids podcast. Thanks for listening. And because of your dedication to raising great kids, Dr. Meg's Parenting Revolution has grown to over 3 million downloads. Head on over to Facebook and Twitter and follow at Meg Meeker MD and check out what's new at MegMeeker.com. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter to stay updated and get information about giveaways. Don't forget to share the podcast with other parents. Subscribe so you won't miss anything. And leave us a review so we know how we're doing.